Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. It's Good Friday, and as Jesus approaches his final moments, he cries out with a great cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever wondered about the meaning of these words? Was Jesus really abandoned by the Father on Good Friday? Is this the moment that he's he's being rejected by the Father that sent him to die for our sins? What is this really all about? Well, that's actually how some Christians interpret this line. They, they say that, well, at this moment, Christ is taking on all the ugliness of the sins of all of humanity and just being thrown upon him. So God the Father looks at Jesus at this moment and sees nothing but sin and And he looks at Jesus with disgust, and so he rejects Jesus. And Jesus recognizes that he is being abandoned by the Father. Others say that this is a cry of despair, that this this all darkness for Jesus, and he's despairing. So he says, why have you forsaken me, Father? We're going to see that these words, these mysterious words, have roots in the Old Testament. And if you know the Old Testament background to these words, it's so enlightening. We're going to see that far from being a cry of despair, Jesus is actually quoting a great line, an oldie, an old song that all the Jews in the first century would have known because it comes from their Jewish scriptures. And if you know that background, you'll see far from being a cry of despair, it's a cry of great hope, a cry of great confidence in the midst of great affliction and suffering. And we're also going to see something else beautiful here. We're going to see a great example for our own lives. When we face moments of darkness, when we face moments of trial, when we're wondering where is God in the midst of this, we could feel as if God has abandoned us. And we may be wondering, Lord, where are you? Is this ever going to get better? What is your plan? What is your purpose for all of this suffering we're going through right now? We're going to see some beautiful patterns here from scripture that could be helpful for us in the trials we face in our ordinary daily lives. That's where we're looking at today as we continue our journey through the seven last words of Christ. So we're looking at those last sayings of Jesus shortly before he died. And these are wonderful things to reflect on in the Lenten season, especially as we get ready for Holy Week coming up here soon. Uh, so we're going to unpack these words in today's episode. And I just want to give a reminder to you, if you have any questions about this topic here, uh, any questions about anything related to the Catholic faith, I want to hear from our listeners. Uh, you can always reach out to me at info.edwardsree at gmail.com. That's info.edwardsree at gmail.com. You can find me on my website, edwardsree.com, or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, I'm always looking for feedback on what, maybe there's something that will touch you in today's episode, or something that will inspire you, or encourage you in some way. I want to hear how this might be connecting in your life. I also want to hear if you have any questions, and we'll, we'll, we'll take those in future episodes, so please reach out to me. But let's let's go back now to these words of Jesus on Good Friday. I, I've done an episode on this uh, previously where we've looked at these words and, and we looked at the Old Testament background. So I'm going to touch on that here today. And then I really want to move our attention to what these words can mean for our lives practically when we face moments of difficulty and trial, a great encouragement for us in the midst of our crosses. Uh, so, but, but let's just unpack the biblical background here first. You know, what, what Jesus is doing on the cross is he's following a traditional rabbinic method of teaching, which is a, a rabbi would often quote a certain line, a certain uh, 
part of the Old Testament that would bring to mind the larger context. So he's not just saying random words. These words are quotes that attentive Jews would have been aware of, and they would bring to mind the larger context of that passage. But it's it's kind of like this. Like in our own culture, we may do something like this even today. If we were watching the Olympics, for example, I love using this as an example. Uh, let's say we were watching the Olympics, and you came in late, and you asked me, oh, who won the gold medal? And I said to you, oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light? Well, I'm not asking you about your eyesight early in the morning. That's not what I'm doing when I say those words. No, no, I'm singing. I'm quoting a line from the the beginning of our national anthem in the United States, the Star Spangled Banner, right? So you would you would know that I was in code basically saying, yeah, the United States won and they, they put up our flag and as the flag goes up and our athlete got the gold medal, they're singing our national anthem, right? So one little line can bring to mind a much larger context. Uh, just like if I say to you, may the force be with you. You you, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm, you're thinking of Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Or you're thinking of Han Solo. You're thinking of Star Wars, right? One little line in our pop culture today can bring to mind a much larger context, a larger story. And the same is true in Jesus's day. Jesus's pop culture wasn't based on uh, sports and it wasn't based on Hollywood and popular songs. His pop culture was shaped by the Bible, the Jewish scriptures. This is what they meditated upon. This is what they thought about. This is what they uh, heard in their synagogue liturgy over and over again. This is what they would talk about. This is what they would celebrate in their feast days throughout the years as they're remembering the story of salvation. So when Jesus, the good rabbi that he is, follows this rabbinic teaching method, he does this many times throughout his public ministry, and you see him continuing to do it right on the cross. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everyone knows that. They go, oh, we know that song. We know this oldie. (laughs) Uh, An attentive Jew paying attention would realize he's quoting a line from Psalm 22, a famous song used in the Psalter. Psalm 22 begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but thou dost not answer by night, but find no rest. So the opening two verses of Psalm 22, uh, that's what Jesus is quoting from. He's quoting directly from this part, uh, and it's it's a psalm about a righteous man that's going through great turmoil. He's being persecuted by his enemies, uh, and and he feels as if he's been abandoned by God. But what we're going to see is that 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 the psalmist goes on, and he he also has great hope. He looks to the past and he remembers the story of Israel, the story of his ancestors, and and he knows in salvation history God has always been faithful. And this is really important here. He goes on to say, "Yet thou art holy, God, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In thee our fathers trusted; they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. To thee they cried, and they were saved. In thee they trusted, and were not." disappointed. So do you see the the emotions of this man? He's, He's in the midst of his suffering. My God, why have you abandoned me? But then he says, but wait, I know, I know my story. I know my identity as a child of God, of the people of Israel. I know that God, when our ancestors faced great trials, they turned to you, they cried out to you, and and you heard their prayers. You came and you rescued them. You were faithful to them. 
So it's giving him hope and confidence in the midst of his affliction. And the psalmist goes back and forth and back and forth between his struggles and his doubts and his wondering, where are you, God? And then remembering, no, God, but I know you're there. And he says in verse 11, be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. So he turns to the Lord and the whole culmination of the song, the climax of the psalm comes near the end in verse 27 and 28, where the psalmist sees that his suffering has purpose. It has meaning. It's going to bring blessing in his life and to, to others. That God somehow is going to use this suffering to bring other people to come and worship the Lord. He says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. This is not a cry of despair. This is a cry at the end, especially of confidence that God, you're there. You're going to rescue me. And not only are you going to rescue me, you're going to bring all the ends of the earth to come and turn to you, to turn to you as their Lord. This is a wonderful psalm. It's also an incredible prophecy as well, isn't it? For those that know the psalm, you know how beautiful this is in foretelling about the events of Good Friday. Because this righteous man, uh, this righteous man who goes through great persecution foreshadows what Jesus is going to face. A thousand years before Christ, this psalm uh, is given uh, to, to be like a prophetic foreshadowing of what Jesus endures on Good Friday. Listen to this. Listen to what Psalm 22 tells us about this righteous man. What kind of suffering was he facing? He was being persecuted by his enemies. He was being mocked by his enemies. His enemies would walk by him and wag their heads. Think about that. That's what will happen on Good Friday to Jesus. It goes on to tell us that they pierce this righteous man's feet and hands. Uh, and it goes on and he, he talks about how the, the his enemies will take his de- garments, divide the garments, and cast lots for them. Does this at all sound familiar? It's exactly what happens to Jesus on Good Friday. Jesus is going to be persecuted by his enemies. They're going to mock him. They're going to pass by and wag their heads at him on Good Friday. We read about that. Uh, They're going to pierce his hands and his feet with the nails on the cross. And the soldiers are going to take his garments, divide them into four parts, and cast lots for them. Psalm 22 is a prophecy about what Jesus will face. And just as the psalmist in Psalm 22 feels as if he's been abandoned by God, so Jesus may be feeling that feeling that kind of suffering that human beings might feel when, in, the, in moments like this. And yet, the psalmist totally trusts and trusts himself to God, trusting that the Father will come and rescue him. And that's what Jesus is doing on Good Friday as well. This is not a cry of despair. In in a sense, it's a victory cry. Jesus knows that his death is not the last word. He trusts that the Father is going to raise him up on the third day, and then all the ends of the earth will come to worship the Lord through the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is just great stuff from Scripture, but it's especially great not just for its prophecy and fulfillment. It's also great because it gives us a roadmap for when we face times of trial and difficulty, what do we do? You know, I I would say there's three things. There are three things that we see happening in Psalm 22 that serve as a great roadmap for us as Christians, how does a Christian deal with suffering? How does a Christian deal with disappointment, frustration, uh, uh, sadness? 
Because if we're really Christians, we're going to respond differently than the ways, than people that just live in the secular world today. Because our identity is found in Christ and we have the Holy Spirit within us. So we should respond differently. Psalm 22 is going to give you three key steps. Are you ready? Three key steps. I want you to think about this in Holy Week, especially when you hear this in, in the liturgy, when we say these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember Psalm 22. Three things I want you to remember about it. First of all, what does the psalmist do when the psalmist faces this trial? He, first of all, names his pain. He names the pain. What do I mean by this? You know, the, the psalmist doesn't go on and just say, oh, yeah, I feel abandoned, but, you know, it'll be okay and I'll be fine. You know, I, I guess I trust God is there. No, no, no. He's human. There are some Christians that kind of just try try to pretend that they're not having difficulties or they don't really face their difficulties really well. Uh, this man actually talks to God about his troubles and he names his pain. He names how he feels like he's been abandoned. He goes on to say things like, all who seek me mock at me. They shake their heads at me. They, they, they put their, they, they pierce my hands and my feet. They divide my garments. He, he, he just goes on and on naming. These are the things happening to me, Lord. And Lord, I, I, I just need to, I just need to talk about it. Sometimes you never have that experience where you're going through, there's some difficult thing happening, maybe in your marriage, maybe with one of your kids, maybe some problem at work. And you just kind of feel inside, like, I, I know something's off and you're, you're worried about it or you're angry about it. There's, you're just not feeling settled. You're anxious inside. Sometimes it's helpful to just go to the chapel go to the chapel or, or sit in the quiet of your own home and just take some time to talk to God about it and say, Lord, this is what's happening. You know, I, I feel this way. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm scared. I'm nervous, whatever it is. And just, and start naming, this is what I'm, I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that my boss is going to think I didn't do a good job, or I'm afraid that my child is, is, is going to reject me, or I'm afraid that my, my spouse is never going to understand me. It's sometimes it's helpful to just name that. That's what the psalmist does here. The psalmist comes right out and says, I am a worm and no man. I'm scorned by men. I'm despised by people. All who seek me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Like, he just starts naming. This is all that's going on in my life. I, and he just names it. That could be a very helpful first step toward kind of sorting things out. And then, you know, when you kind of just speak it to the Lord, you start to realize okay, maybe this isn't as big of a deal as it is, or you start being able to put it in certain categories, saying, okay, this is why this is happening. Or it's, sometimes it's just, you're just talking to God about it, and God will give you a deeper peace. But I would also say, and I want to challenge some of us here, because this, these are the kinds of things God wants to work on in us in Lent, not just, I've said many times, he doesn't want just our chocolate or giving up meat. We, you know, let's make those mortifications. That's good. But he also, he just wants to change our hearts. That's what this is all about. And, and many of you contacted me a couple of weeks ago about, wow, that challenge to really forgive people, <laughs> you know, that that was, that was really challenging. I, I'm going to give you another one here. There might be some uh, listeners here that have certain things in their heart that they've not really addressed. Things maybe from their past uh, maybe currently wounds of the from their past that they're still uh, have never really dealt with, or maybe certain fears and anxieties they're facing. Maybe again, it could be your job, it could be a friend hurts from our past, and we kind of just try to busy ourselves and convince ourselves, okay, it's all good, it's not that big of a deal. But you know, when God draws near to us, when He really comes close to us, He wants to heal us. 
he, he doesn't want to just solve our problems out there. The bigger problems are often in our heart and how we respond to problems in this world because problems in this world are always going to be there. The bigger thing is how we're going to respond. And so sometimes just naming our pain before the Lord could be a very helpful exercise in finding the healing God wants to work in your deeper heart. So take that to the Lord, take that to prayer, say, Lord, is there something deeper, some deeper spiritual heart surgery you want to work on me in these last couple of weeks of Lent? Ask the Lord about that and then turn to him. That's the next step. Turn to the Lord. That's what the psalmist does. He says, be not far from me for trouble is near. There's no one to help. So it's not just go make a list of all your troubles and then stare at it and get mad. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you, you name the pain in conversation with Jesus. Take it to him. Take it to him in prayer. Let him, you know, it's okay. The psalmists often do this. They cry out to God all their frustrations. They talk to God about it. It's okay to talk to God about it. And, and many times you ever done this. You ever go to the chapel, why is this happening? Or Lord, help me. I'm so, you know, I don't know what to do. Or show me what the next step is. You know, when we do those things, oftentimes the Lord will come and give us a deeper peace if we just turn it to him instead of just trying to carry it all ourselves. Uh, I remember a time when, my spiritual director, many years ago, uh, I, there was one thing I had to make some decision. I was struggling. What do I do? And I was all anxious about it. I was talking to my spiritual director about it. And I said, well, I think about this and I'm thinking about this. And, but what about this? And then there's this side. But then I wonder if I should do this. And, and he's just sitting back smiling, not saying anything, letting me ramble on. And finally, I, I just I just stopped talking. Well, I've been talking all the time. What do you think? And he just smiles at me and says, so, Ted, have you talked to God about all this? And he just smiles. I said, well... Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, I've said some prayers. No, 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 Ted. Have you really just talked to God about this? <laughs> and I knew, like, I, I'd just been thinking about it mostly in my head, and I'd say a couple of Hail Marys here and there about it, but I wasn't really turning to the Lord with this. So that's what the psalmist is doing. He names his pain, he names his struggles, but he secondly turns to the Lord. And the last thing I'm going to leave you with is the psalmist remembers the story. He remembers God's faithfulness. He remembers that God has always been faithful to all of his ancestors throughout salvation history. And we as Catholics can say the same thing. We can remember stories about how God was faithful to St. Therese of Lisieux when she felt darkness and felt heaven may not even be there. And she was going through such suffering with tuberculosis. And, and, and yet, God kept her close. She cried out to him, and he was there. Uh, we remember the sufferings of, of all of the saints that have gone before us and how God was always present. Let's remember God's faithfulness and trust in that. If we fill our minds with the stories of Scripture, the stories of the saints, then when we face little difficulties in life, that's what will be there to encourage us. So uh, thank you for, for this little, uh, for le letting me think and reflect with you on Psalm 22, a powerful passage uh, that, that opens up for us a roadmap for the challenges we face in daily life. I want to close with a question that I got from one of our listeners. Uh, uh, this is from Max. Max was reading one of my books. I, I believe it was the Into His Likeness book. He says, I was reading a book where you wrote about how you knew Father John Harden. What was he like? How devoted to the Eucharist was he? I'm amazed by some of his writings on the Eucharist. And uh, Max, thanks for asking about that. I I was blessed to live with this wonderful Jesuit priest many years ago. He's he's deceased now. God rest his soul. He's up for uh, for uh, the process of... of uh, um, being venerable and canonized and all that. So uh, you can we can pray and ask his intercession. He was a very saintly man. And I, I lived with him for about three months. 
when I was in transition from working in the secular corporate world and then getting ready for my graduate studies uh, in theology. And I was blessed to do the the 30-day spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with him. and uh, But, you know, I learned some things about his teachings on the Eucharist while I was with him. And I, I took a lot of notes, and he, he taught a lot of classes for lay people. But it was just living with him day in and day out that just helped me to grow in love with Jesus more in the Eucharist by his own example. Uh, he was a man that always went to the tabernacle. He would just always just anytime he was near uh, any, near a church, anytime he was near the the chapel and the building and the, the the house where we were staying and with all the other Jesuits that were there, he he would always just want to stop by the chapel like every every day. Anytime we would just be walking by and want to be in there, he would do his writing in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel. Uh, he would read his manuscripts in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel. He would do his preparation for teaching in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel. He just always wanted to be near the one he loved. And, and it was just so beautiful. And I, I'm so thankful because I had a devotion to the Eucharist before, but really watching this man is just like, you know, like a lover, someone who's in love just wants to be with the one he loves. Uh, and that's why, why I, I wrote about him and his example in my book, Into His Likeness. Uh, I mentioned the Eucharistic thing in passing, but thank you for asking, Max, because uh, it, it's a it's great reminder for me in my life many years later now uh, to want to be closer to Jesus in the Eucharist. And I know I, 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 throughout the years, have done many of my own writing projects. I'll often, just recently, I was doing some editing for some things for Focus, and uh, I wanted to take things to the chapel and just kind of get a chance to look it over and think it through in front of the Blessed Sacrament Chapel. My my recent book on the Passion Narratives, I spent many hours late at night just uh, in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel doing the final edits uh, in Jesus's presence. Uh, and I that's not me. That's that's from Father John Hart, and I'm so thankful for, for his example. And so we can all take that wherever you are. Uh, if you get chances, you drive by a church and you can just stop in for just a quick couple minutes and be there to pray with Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to fill our lives with that kind of devotion. All right. Thank you so much. If you have any questions, again, send your questions or any comments on today's episode, how it may have touched you or encouraged you uh, as we're getting into the climax of our Lenten journey. Please reach out to me. I want to hear from you at info.edwardsri at gmail.com. That's info at Edward, uh, I'm sorry, info.edwardsri at gmail.com. You can always find me on my website, edwardsri.com. And you can also reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Thanks so much. May God bless you.